You're listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Following two best buds and former college roommates on their journey to master the stock market and the art of being a dad. So pull up your cargo shorts, put on your grass-stained New Balances, and let's throw some stocks on the grill. Here are your hosts, DJ Brown and Mike Sabala. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Stocks and Sandals. This is your host, Mike Sabala. And today we are welcoming back our first repeat guest. Um, other than that, and I'm not talking about DJ because DJ is here as always. Hey, DJ. Hey, man. Yeah, it's uh, pretty exciting to have Mike Tedeschi back. I actually pr- pronounced it right this time, the first go. You got it right, man. Thanks. I appreciate I did. it. <laughs> I made a conscious effort to remember that from last time. Um, no, but if you guys don't remember, uh, we had Mike Tedeschi on episode four, I believe it was, to talk about how uh, trading should be viewed as a business and how to build a trading plan. And it was super value packed. Uh, still one of my favorite episodes to date. Um, so we're really excited to have Mike back with us again to talk today about uh, something that's pretty important to um trading and being successful. And uh, it's something that really interests me a lot just from uh, an interest standpoint. But we're going to be talking about trading psychology and what goes into being a successful trader. So for those of you that have been in the Stock Dads community for a while, you really don't need a whole lot more of an introduction from Mike um, Tedeschi. But I will pass it over just for another quick intro of uh, who you are and you know, who you represent and all that kind of fun stuff, just for those of us who uh, may be new listeners and all that kind of stuff. Tedeschi, pass it on to you. All right. Well, thanks for having me back, guys. Uh, excited to be here. So I'm the uh, Wealth Management Advisor over at Perspective Wealth Planning. Um, you can check us out at PerspectiveWealthPlanning.com. Essentially, uh, manage the portfolios for the company. And um, my focus is not only on uh, the portfolios, but I also work one-on-one with people from a coaching standpoint. And as we talked about in our uh, last episode, uh, building out trading plans. Um, In this episode, I really want to talk about that trading psychology and mindset. Mindset is the key to success, not just in trading, but pretty much in anything that you want to do in life. Uh, And so I got a question for you guys right off the bat. Oh boy, you, I'm not prepared for that. <laughs> um, do you guys know what the biggest determining factor is for uh, somebody's grade point average? A lot of people think that that's going to be intelligence. Your IQ being the biggest determining factor for your grade point average. That's actually not the case. It's discipline. Right? The person that is the smartest in the class doesn't always end up with the best GPA. Hold on. Is the reason I got C's in school because I didn't try and not because I'm dumb? Yes. It's uh, well. <laughs> that would be why. Right let's there, be clear right? here. It's probably a solid combination of both. <laughs> I'm just kidding. You're super, super smart, Mike. <laughs> yeah. Thanks, guys. This is this is a great episode for me already. Guys, crack me up. I love being here. Um, <laughs> so the reason I bring that up is, is discipline really is the determining factor in terms of success throughout life. It doesn't matter what it is that you're doing. Um, take sales, for example. A uh, person that's the most charismatic, you know, has the easiest ability to communicate with people doesn't necessarily 
have the best sales numbers for the company, right? Um, and the reason is, is they may not meet with that many people. They may have a higher closing percentage because when they get in front of somebody, they do a great job. But the person that's sitting in the background making all of those cold calls every day and hitting that, you know, making 100 calls a day, they get in front of more people. They may not be as successful in terms of closing percentage, but they're going to have that consistency. And so if you're running a sales organization, the people that you want on your team are the people that will go out there and do the effort on a regular basis. And that goes through to everything. And that's really what we're going to discuss is how that impacts trading. So we talked about building that trade plan out. You guys remember I had you know, spoke about routine, right? Routine is super, super important. And uh, I'm going to go through a bunch of different quotes uh, this evening because there's a lot of people that have said things better than I could ever say it out there. And I would think it's it's really good to, you know, pull from, um, you know, really smart and, and really, uh, you know, great quotes because uh, I can teach you guys a lot. Um, there's a speech called uh, Making Your Bed, and it's by Admiral uh, McRaven. And, um, the key to success is just to make your bed. And you think to yourself, that's just such a small thing. Uh, but I suggest you go out and actually see his um, his speech. But I pull one little piece out of it. Um, if you guys make your bed every morning, you will have accomplished the first task of the day and will give you a small sense of pride and will encourage you to do another task and another and another. By the end of the day, that one task completed will have turned into many tasks completed. So making your bed will also reinforce the fact that the little things in life matter. If you can't do the little things right, you'll never do the big things right. And when you think about it, the key to success is to breaking things down into manageable chunks that you can actually go out and accomplish. So from a trading mentality, if I want to be successful, I need to have a routine. All right. Professional golfers, they don't just pull up to the golf course and jump out on the first tee box. They go to the driving range. They hit thousands of balls. They know exactly what it is that they're working on. They go through that routine. You know, maybe they start with their low irons and work their way all the way up or whatever works for them, but they do something important. So do you guys have any sort of routine currently when you guys are, are headed into the trading pits? I have more of one now after our last talk. Uh, I actually, I, I actually honestly am, feel like I'm a much better trader just after my last our last interview with you. Um, I've changed a lot of my habits and approaches and and you know the the risk management, risk management, risk management and you know like actually started paying attention to you know my entry points and my uh, stop losses and my targets and all that kind of stuff rather than just kind of playing emotionally. So I would say yes, I still uh, I have a long ways to go, but I do have some routines that are in place for me, for sure. Yeah, I um, I can actually verify what DJ is saying because, like, we've talked a little bit since our since our last episode, and I would actually probably take advice from you now, DJ. Like, I would actually <laughs> listen to you uh, when it comes to stocks. <laughs> which should be shocking to all of our listeners. But yeah, I've, I'm getting I'm getting kind of halfway decent at this. And a, mm-hmm. like a huge portion of that uh, definitely goes to taking your advice, Mike, and from our episode four and actually coming up with a plan and all that kind of stuff. It's been it's been fun and it's been a. Uh, you know, interesting to see how much more successful you can be when you're prepared. 
that makes me so happy to hear. I'm, I'm very glad it was uh, was helpful, um, and you implemented that into your your training. Um, you know, really, when you this is another good quote. Uh, Reaching any goal in trading requires a specific knowledge and technical skills, but after that, it's all mindset management. And yet, most people ignore that. They automatically think they have that last part all figured out, and it's a mistake. So the fact that you, you know, listen to what we said before, went back and are actually working on it is a really, really good thing that puts you ahead of where most people are at, because most people have that ego problem. And that's one of the things that we really kind of have to talk about if we're going to talk about trading psychology is being OK with being wrong. Right. Um, there is no trader out there that just is right 100 percent of the time. It doesn't happen. Losses are part of the game. And what most people do when they lose are, are large mistakes. They average down. My favorite trader of all time is Jesse Livermore. Real simple quote, never average losers. <laughs> <Right>? <laughs> Don't become an involuntary investor by holding on to stocks whose price have fallen. I'm sure everybody knows that person or they've done it themselves, that they bought a stock, they said they were going to get out if it, you know, broke X, Y, and Z, and they just held on to it, and it just kept going down and going down. And I looked at it and I go, I can't sell now. Guess I'm an investor. <laughs> <laughs> well, I actually want to, I actually want to, want to really dive deep into this because there is a, I mean, my, I had it myself, um, super big misconception that. You know, and one of the most common things that I see people saying in the stock dads page and other stock, you know, discords and all that kind of stuff is that you don't lose anything until you sell. And that like for me, for the longest time, that was something that I really also thought I was like, well, I'll just hold it. The stock market always goes up. So I'll just wait. And, you know, I ended up holding bags that were much larger than I ever anticipated and that was a big struggle for me. And I also feel like that misconception is, for whatever reason, like infiltrating everywhere, right? I mean, it's 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 all over the place. So can you talk more about that and why that is such a misconception? So the, the stock market is just a meeting of people that are willing to buy and they're willing to sell at a certain price, right? What you can get for your goods is what you can get for your goods, right? If the price goes down you can get less for your goods, right? You can mentally tell yourself, oh, I'm holding on to it. I haven't lost anything. No, you have, because if you went to go sell it, it would be worth less money today. Your account balance shows it too. It goes down. I mean, paper losses are real. So you can never go into a trade or an investment without the you know, stop figured out. Um, because if you don't, you end up in a position where you're that long-term investor in something that you wanted to take a trade on. And investing and trading is very different. You made a you know a good point. Markets always go up. And historically, that's true. Part of the reason that markets tend to always go up is just because of inflation. It's not necessarily the economy does any better. It's every year our money loses a you know a percentage of its value. And subsequently that is displayed in, in asset prices, right? Um, so the market itself over the long run certainly will go up, but individual companies don't. I mean, how about that guy that bought Enron, right? Hell yeah, it's just a trade, man. <laughs> it's worthless. So an individual company can, of course, disappear. You know, fraud can come up. They, you know, a competitor can come in and drive them out of business, you know, et cetera. Um, 
that loss is real. Whether or not you realize it or not doesn't make a difference. And that is something as a trader, you have to you have to realize right off the bat. And I also think, you know, like, sorry to interrupt, but I also think, you know, one of the things that I've started to realize is that even if even if like I am super confident that a a stock is going to go back up, let's say there was a big drop because of, you know, something bad came out of the news or they had bad earnings or whatever, but like their long-term prospects still look great, right? To me, as a swing trader, I mean, I'm an investor too, but like I'm, I'm swinging, you know, blue chips right now. I'm like, you know, kind of doing some of that holding for a few days, few weeks, you know, and kind of positional trading stuff. To me, like one of the things that I'm starting to realize is that, yeah, like that stock may recover, but it could be weeks or months down the road. Whereas I could take those, my funds right now and put them into something that's going to recover those gains now or quicker. You know what I mean? Right. So that's kind of one of the things that I've been playing around with too. So investing, trading, very different things from mindset to everything that you do. We're talking more just on the trading side of things. Um, you know, we can't, just sit and hold something, just hoping essentially it comes back, right? Uh, if we break down what swing trading is at its core, your goal is to make the most amount of money possible with the least amount of risk in the quickest amount of time. So if you're sitting and holding on to energy stocks this year, you know, because they look good, <laughs> their value looks good, right? They seem valuable on paper. You know, the energy sector is down 50% year to date. You know, you've gotten crushed on the flip side if you're you know putting money into tech which is showing you day in day out you know making you all-time high making you all-time high making you all-time high leaders lead laggers lag it's just as simple as that so sideways is, is not good for swing trading either because that capital could be put into something that's moving so that's my two cents there in terms of what i think um you should be utilizing your capital as you know a trading perspective investing is different it's very indifferent because you're looking at you know the actual value of the enterprise to meet you know what your expectations are growth etc there's so many other components to it yeah that makes a lot of sense so can you kind of just talk about like i don't know what do you in your mind what is this like you know aside from having a routine and kind of understanding your game plan and stuff like that like what what types of things do we need to be aware of psychologically like when we're trading to avoid, you know, freaking out when something doesn't look right or or getting overly uh, confident, you know, when some things are going well. Sure. So, um, you know, Jesse Livermore said there's nothing new in Wall Street. He said this 100 years ago. And that's there can't be because speculation is as old as the hills. Whatever happens in the stock market today has happened before and will happen again. Right. And the reason is, is because human beings are the drivers of the market and human behavior doesn't change. The thing that's most fascinating about trading is you're not just playing against the stock market. You're playing against yourself. And it's one of those things that really shows a window to your own soul. You will get to know yourself, the good and the bad from trading because everybody's different, but everybody's got those areas where things just kind of go off the rails. If you play poker, it's called going on tilt, right? From a trading perspective, you know, everybody has different pitfalls and you have to learn yourself what those pitfalls are. I'll give you a, an odd example from myself from a number of years back and it had to do with dollar value. 
right? I, for whatever reason, was thinking in thousands. That was that was the number that I was thinking about. So if I lost $999.99, I didn't care. If I lost $1,000, it pissed me off. <laughs> <laughs> that was the number that I couldn't go over. You know, because I went over, I would then get into that weird zone that I know everybody gets into. They start chasing. They start taking, you know, bigger position sizes than they should because they want to get it back. And that happens really when you're playing with an amount of money you're not comfortable with losing. You know, it, you take a hundred bucks to the casino and you go sit down at the blackjack table and you're playing $10 a hand. You're just there to have a good time, right? It doesn't matter. You win, you lose, you're not going to get pissed off. And, you know, it's not going to be the end of it. On the flip side, if you take your month mortgage payment to the casino and you put it on one hand of blackjack, uh, that's not, you know, a comfortable place to be. When we're trading, we have to be in our comfort zone, not just from what we talked about last time, risk management, our portfolio will allow us to from a dollar perspective, but we need to be in the realm of what we are comfortable with as an individual in terms of losing. And you know that number yourself. Nobody can tell you what that is. Maybe for you, it's, you know, $350. Maybe it's 10 grand. You know that and you have to figure that out for yourself. And the way you do that, again, we talked about journaling is, you know, write things down. When you when you hit a number, you know that you're not comfortable. You know you're not okay. If you're tracking your trades, you see all of a sudden, wow, I took way too much risk on that next trade. I really, what was I doing? Well, it was because I was uncomfortable with what just occurred. Because I'm uncomfortable, I got to try to get it back. And the other piece to that is your ego. You're not okay with actually losing. And that is something that plagues many, many people. Right. <laughs> Markets are Mike. never wrong. Opinions are <laughs> Sabala, no. full of ego. It, it depends. It depends what we're talking about. <laughs> I'm okay with losing in certain things. <laughs> just, just like 90% of things he's not okay with losing in. Yeah, it's a, it depends. There's a small little area where I'm okay, though. So... Um, no, but I did have a question for you, kind of going off that, Mike. You said that, so you say that like battling against yourself is something that we all deal with. And I'm just kind of curious, like, you know, something we see a lot is like people getting FOMO or like trying to fight FOMO. And, you know, just the term FOMO gets thrown around a lot. So like, I guess what I think, I think I know the answer to this, but I guess what are your thoughts on ways to, you know, battle that and to not, I guess, play loose with your money and, you know, subject yourself to that FOMO. And FOMO just for our listeners that don't know is fear of missing out. So, which is a big, big term that gets tossed around in, in the stock trading world. So sorry, just wanted to clarify that. It's good to clarify. Um, I, I think really it comes down to, at the end of the day, that traders look at the market. Unsuccessful, newer traders look at the market the exact opposite way that they should. They think about how much money they can make if they get in a trade. So when they see the stock that they're maybe contemplating buying go up 20% in a day, right? they tell, they tell themselves in their head, man, if I had had 1,000 shares, I would have just made 20 grand. If I made 20 grand, I'd be able to go out and buy that car. Like That's where their head is at. Professionals on the other side look at the, the market in the exact opposite light. They look at how much can I lose in a trade, not how much can I win in a trade. They think about loss first, right? Winners take care of themselves. The losers are what you have to manage. And so 
when that stock goes up 20% and you get that fear of, you know, oh my goodness, if I was in this, I'd be making so much money. You now have to realize that the support zone is now 20% further away. <laughs> so if you enter that trade right there, yeah, it may keep going up for a little bit. You might make a little bit of money, but your loss now is, can be so much greater. Whereas if you buy it at the right spot, maybe you were taking a 3% risk. Now you're taking a 25% risk. And when you start thinking about the market backwards from the way normal people think about it and think about how much you can lose in a trade instead of how much you can win, that FOMO just disappears. You don't think about it. You realize there's 65,000 different stocks that I could be purchasing. This one went up. I missed it. So what? I'll move on to the next one. All right. I'll wait for that pitch that's in my wheelhouse. I don't need to swing at every pitch like Pablo, Pablo Sandoval. <laughs> I can wait for my actual pitch. Right? <laughs> And that that brings back some memories. <laughs> he was just Good so much Pablo. fun to watch. He's, yeah, he swung at more pitches out of the strike zone, and it's just it was it was that's <laughs> fascinating to watch him play. <laughs> that would be one thing I'd be okay losing at. By the way, is baseball because I've like never played it. So <laughs> for just for reference. <laughs> So the good quote that came from that is confidence is not, I will profit on this trade. Confidence is I will be fine if I don't profit from this trade. So, all right. So I have a, I have a question. So FOMO is uh, very prevalent. Like we, like Mike mentioned. Um, and this is still something that I struggle with and I probably will likely always struggle with it to some degree. Um, but like, when, when good news comes out or uh, when something like the market just shifts and everything seems to be hot, um, what are some like ways that you can like, or that you recommend tempering your, I don't even really know how to ask this, like tempering your expectations of what, when to get in something. Cause you talk about one of your big things is like getting in stuff when it's like, Know, breaking new highs or it's like breaking new resistance right. levels and and so like to me and this is something that i've talked with you about briefly on on our group like that still in my mind seems like fomo right that that seems like i'm jumping in like too late like i'm missing out i've missed out on the on the move like now we're i'm doing the same thing that you're kind of telling me to maybe avoid but you're you're saying that that is still like the strategy to go because of why just explain that to I mean, me so bit. have you heard of a three-day rule have, no. have you heard that term thrown around before so um a lot of times the three-day rule is essentially a, a stock will break out and it'll like move for three days and the thought process behind that three days and it, sometimes it's four sometimes it's two but really the smart money is getting in right at, right at the breakout that's that's what's going on institution you know smart money they're they're getting in right when that breakout is happening and then the the good traders the you know the, the the retail traders that are successful you know they're kind of buying in that second day and then mom and pop is buying it on the third day the third day people are the fomo people they're the ones that miss the first day and like ah, it'll come back and then the next day it goes higher and it goes eh, it'll come back i'll wait for it to come down and, and it gaps up again on the third day oh god i have to get this right now that's the FOMO people. I'm telling you to be back with the institutions in terms of as soon as it's breaking that resistance point, that's kind of where I want to get in. And if you wait long enough, things usually tend to come back and test unless, all right, because there's always a caveat. 
right? If something major fundamentally has changed with the company, like a, a new partnership, a new CEO, a new product, uh, amazing earnings, like, you know, they might have a big gap up and it just never comes back to that level again because something fundamentally changed. But if it's not a news-driven event and it's just kind of a breakout of a, of a trading range, more often times than not, within a couple of weeks, it'll come back right around into that zone. So if you miss it in the beginning, if you just sit, wait patiently, a lot of times it'll come back. Go back and take a look at some charts of breakouts that have happened you know, this year of, of different stocks and look at what happens two weeks, three weeks after the breakout and see how many of them kind of come back down. Um, again, wait patiently for those setups. And even stocks that break out and make these huge runs higher, eventually they'll start to plateau and trade sideways. They'll set up in a nice pattern and then they'll break out again and you can get them on that, that next breakout. They don't have to be chased. Right. That makes sense. And then one other question, because this one's personal to me again, because um, I clearly have a lot of psychological issues. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when I, um, so I have, uh, let's just use, um, we'll use Square as an example, SQ. Uh, I have a, I mean, I'm, I guess I'm kind of torn between swing trading it and long-term investing in it i mean it's to me it's like more of an a long-term investment i because of i think it's just got a great you know outlook for the future all that kind of fun stuff um but i'm also trying to be more of a swing trader uh trying to capitalize on gains now and and stuff like that so i have a pretty good like average price right now my average is very low because i got in at a good point um do you recommend like for swing trading is there a way to, I don't know, like when I'm, when I want to get out of a position, I, I'm so nervous to get rid or to lose my low average. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, but, but what difference does a low average at the end of the day make? It just, it lets you, when you log into your trading account, see, oh, I'm up 75%, right? But the money is, you've already, you have it. Just sell it and you put it in your pocket and then you can always re-enter a trade. I'm not going to say anything specifically about you know, company square um, in terms right. of longevity or anything. But the other thing is you don't have to trade in you know, full position sizes, right? You want to take some profit, you can sell a portion of it and then you can always buy back in. Yes, when you buy back in, now your average price is going to get raised. And so that's a psychological thing that for you might be a trigger point that you have to realize and kind of overcome. You can see the gears turning. This makes me uncomfortable. I don't want to sell because I don't want to give up my $25 price average on, you know, square and I'm up, you know, so many percent. And then if I have to buy it back and it's going to show them that 0% gain and that's going to suck. Yeah. I was going to say, I think part of it is probably that like you just, it, you almost feel more secure, you know, like if you have a really low average and the price mm -hmm. is way up, you know, it's like, it doesn't really matter if I mess up and, you know, it drops, I'll still be up, you but know? See, it does because that money is yours right now. If it drops right. from where it's at and goes down 30%, you still lost 30, you just lost 30%. Right, right. now your average, you know, might show that you're up 75% instead of 130%. You're like, ah, oh, still good. But you just really legitimately lost that money. Um, you've got to trade your plan. Like in, you know, if you're, you know, for this particular thing, if you had a target of, let's like, say, like 200, it's not there. So you'd, you'd wait, 
right? If you, but if you didn't have a plan going into it, this is where you start getting into that uncomfortable side. What do I do? Yeah. And a lot of the, I guess, I mean, you're definitely right. Cause a lot of these positions that I have that I struggle with this were ones that I got into prior to our last conversation and prior to starting with a plan. So I don't have like in my mind, like this is my target, you know, or this is what I'm looking for. And, and Mike, Sabala hit it right on the head, like as far as what I'm feeling. And I, it's, it's validating to hear you um, talk about this because it does. It's like I'm up, you know, 75%, whatever. And I'm like, well, if I lose this, I, I still I have 75% worth of gains that I can just play with to, to lose before I'm anywhere towards a loss. But that's not true. And that's like the psychological component that's so hard to break and so hard to to get your head around but i i think that's why it's so important like you said to have that plan because then you can think about it more objectively and less yeah. like a nutcase like i am <laughs> <laughs> i mean money is money so let's go back to the casino let's go back we're sitting down we're playing blackjack we started with a hundred dollars you know we doubled down a couple times all of a sudden we got 500 bucks in front of us and now we're like, you know, it's, it's late in the evening. Now we're playing $50 a hand of blackjack. And all of a sudden we're playing $100 a hand of blackjack. And we stacked up three grand, right? Well, you went with 100 bucks and you're playing for $10, you know, a pop and you were having a good time. And now you've got three grand sitting in front of you. What do you do? You start playing $500 a hand until you ultimately at the end of the day go broke. Or do you take that money, put it in your pocket and go, go down, sit with 200 bucks at a different table? But that's the question you have to ask yourself, right? I mean, that money is real right? It's chips in front of you. It's paper on a, you know, it's numbers on a screen, but that's yours. So you can, you know, diversify it just because you're up X percent doesn't mean anything different than if you were up 3% with a position size that was 15 times larger. It's the end of the day, it's all dollars and cents. Yeah. That's really helpful. Yeah. I think that this is a really helpful follow-up episode to our last one, because it feels like the trading psychology is going to be a lot different based on i guess what level you're trading at you know like if you're just in a discord you don't really know like how to trade or anything and you're just listening to some guy call plays like psychologically you're going to have a lot of different you know issues than someone like you mike who like knows what they're doing and has a plan so you know, I think just addressing the psychology behind this is really good follow up because it, I think it really changes once you have a plan, you know, it, it absolutely does. Um, you know, in the beginning, when you're in that learning stage, you don't really know what's going on. You're really not having the battle with yourself. You're trying to figure out what works, right? And trying to figure out the strategy that works. When the psychology with yourself becomes really, really important is when you have the strategy down and now you're trying to consistently implement it, right? That's a very different, you know, uh, mental state essentially to be in than, than that sponge of trying to figure everything out. Speaking about trying to figure everything out, one of the other things I think people have a huge problem with psychologically is they need to understand why something happens. They need to understand why the stock went up. There's an entire industry based around telling people why the stock market goes up. It's your financial news media. Um, you know, uh, that stock went up today. Why did that one go up and this one didn't go up? Why are the airlines going down? And when, you know, COVID's not as bad as it was, like everybody needs an answer to why something is going on. And that's a problem because you will never find the answer why. 
A market is right. the sum total of all participants, right? You can't figure out why mm-hmm. unless you ask every single person that's ever placed a trade at that point in time <laughs> and got their reasoning. Um, but unsuccessful traders really focus on why, why? Because when they think that they can figure out why something is moving, it feels comfortable. Oh, that went up because that happened. That makes perfect sense. I'm okay with that. And when something goes up and there's no reason for it, it's uncomfortable because it doesn't make sense. And so instead of actually taking the trade, they go, I can't take the trade because I don't know why it's moving. If I don't know why it's moving, then should I put my money into it or not? Really, it doesn't matter. It's the market's telling you it's going up. As I said before, markets are never wrong. Opinions often are. That's Jesse Livermore, you know, like one of his best quotes right there. And that's that that's the way it is. You do you have okay, so in our last episode with you, one of the things that you recommended um when coming up with your plan was to note and like track why something was successful or why it wasn't or whatever, so you can go back and look and try and um replicate things and stuff like that. Do you think that that comes, is that more of like from a technical perspective, like this pattern worked more often than not rather than like the fundamental stuff where it's like, Oh, they had good earnings and now kind of stuff. When I was talking about that, it was because trading is a numbers game. You want to see exactly what you did. So it was like, if I'm trading an ascending triangle breakout pattern and it worked, I want to note that it's an ascending triangle pattern so that I can go back and see how many of those worked versus how many of those didn't. Not from the fundamental side of things. I want to see what from a technical side of things is working because that's a straight one to one I can get the answer. Um it broke So above technical support. analysis is more reliable for like not and it's not foolproof of course, but it's more statistically probably reliable to like look for trends or patterns and stuff like that, that might work out than trying to guess what something, what, how the market's going to react to news, you know, or something like that. So, I mean, I've often said this, right. If you gave me the earnings report for a company before earnings came out, if you put it in my hand, okay. I couldn't tell you whether the stock was going up or down the majority of the time. Now, obviously if there's some sort of way out of the money, just blown out earnings. I'd be able to say it's going to go higher. But if it's kind of right in line, I actually couldn't tell you what the market's going to do with that information. With that information in front, how many times have you looked at an earnings report and go, wow, they just did a great job. And then the stock falls 15 percent. Or I've seen a lot of that lately. That earnings was horrible. And the market just shoots higher. It's I don't you you can never know why. Right. You know, uh, on Mm. those. And it's really it's because the market was if it goes up, the market thinks it was better than, than it actually, you know, and if it goes down, it's the opposite. So, you know, if, if it looks like earnings are great, stock drops, they didn't meet expectations. Yeah. It's kind of the same thing. Like with Disney just came out and said that they laid off like 28,000 people and stuff. And now I, I, I know from, you know, doing research that that means, you know, less expenses, better bottom line, which makes the companies, you know, uh, long-term outlook or the ability to you know survive something like this better so their stock prices go up from something like that whereas a lot of people maybe the untrained eye they see oh 28,000 people are laid off they're really hurting so the stock market's going to plummet you know so it's it, but it could go either way depending on again it just depends on how the market decides to react so 
that you could literally say the thing and justify it just as strongly. So fully agree with that statement. Yeah, it's kind of interesting when you when you talk about people like obsessing over why it's going up or down. It kind of makes me think that it's more about detaching yourself from the market and just looking at it objectively. And I think the trading psychology is such a important thing to talk about in regards to that because it's you know hard to detach yourself from it and not ask those questions. It, it is. Um, that's what a stock chart is. It's human emotion graph. You can see greed and fear play out over and over again on a chart. So if you can figure out how to read that, you can get a good understanding of what's going on. And like you said, nothing is perfect, right? There are games that are played because if everybody's looking at the same thing and people are making decisions off of that, the institutions know what people are looking for and subsequently can, can mess around and make things look like it should go up and have it go down. And I, I just want to, I think this is awesome. I just want to clarify for our listeners that I know we've already mentioned it briefly, but this is predominantly talking about trading and not long-term investing. Because if you're looking at long-term investing, just looking at a uh, a chart and not paying attention to some of the, you know, the financials and the fundamental side of that stuff is not necessarily always the best approach either. Because you want to make sure that a company has good long-term outlook and stuff like that. But we're talking short-term trading, swing trading, you know, sometimes it's better to just, like Mike suggested, you know, cover the ticker, look at what the chart's telling you, that kind of stuff. So definitely two separate approaches entirely. So just want to make that clarification that this is predominantly talking about trading. So I have one more, um, one more question kind of going off of this, like, and I'll use Tesla as an example. Again, I know, I know, Mike, you can't speak you know, based on, uh, you know, your compliance and stuff like that, you can't speak too much on specific stocks or anything like that, but just something that I want to like, kind of talk out like Tesla. And I got called out on it for the last recording that we did for being a Tesla fanboy. (laughs) Um, but like Tesla just seems (laughs) to continuously defy like all logic. Um, and it's one that's like psychologically, uh, really screwing with me hard because it's like, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like I just feel like it's got. I just feel like it's gonna be a, worth a million dollars someday. <laughs> like each share, it's good, just crazy how they just continue to find a way. But like everything, you know, technically and fundamentally speaking, like it says, hey, this is wildly overvalued right now, and that and that kind of stuff. So it's like, how, how do you balance balance something like that? Not specifically with Tesla, but just like. You know, any stock that just doesn't seem to follow the rules of the <laughs> the rules of the market. So that's part of the reason why I'm saying you don't really need to try to figure out why something goes up because it's it's almost impossible. When you're looking at metrics between companies, you know, you could look at oh PE ratio. That's how I want to value uh, how I want to value stocks. Um, Amazon traded at a ridiculously high PE ratio for 20 years, you know, and it just keeps going up. So if you passed on Amazon because you were only valuing all companies because of PE ratio, you missed out on it, right? Tesla's PE ratio is ridiculous at this point in time as well. It's being valued in a different way. Amazon was being valued in terms of sales. So people didn't care that they were losing money, et cetera. It's just that their sales were increasing as they were taking over different you know, areas of the market, right? <clears throat> That's how the market ultimately was valuing Amazon. How the market values Tesla right now? 
I can't give you that answer. I'm not, I'm not even going to try again from a compliance standpoint. But you have to figure out from your own fundamental, if you're investing in it, does it fit the valuation requirements for you to hold it? Do you think five years from now that whatever valuation metric you personally are using, it's going to be in better shape than it is today? And if the answer to that is yes, I mean, there's something you might want to invest in. At the same point in time, if you're looking at it going, the valuation makes no sense to me on any of the metrics that I'm using from a valuation standpoint, then you shouldn't be investing in it. Doesn't mean you can't take a trade when it breaks out of, you know, it's, you know, ascending triangle, you know, goes and makes new highs. You certainly could trade it. Maybe you don't want to invest in it. So that's, there's two different worlds and trading and investing, trying to blend them together can be very difficult because they follow different rules. If you're trying to trade in an investment, it's, you know, you're missing out on, uh, <laughs> you're missing out on opportunity and vice versa. So. Gotcha. So. All right. So you've given us a lot of like things to to chew on as far as like what can kind of screw you over psychologically if you're not careful and like, you know, what types of things to kind of watch out for and how it's, you know, individual to everybody. Right. Can you just give some like tangible suggestions or tips I mean, other than having a plan? Like what are some easy things that you can consider doing to try and help with the psychological aspects of all this? Like, I mean, is it is like as simple as like, just don't have a big position size in something so you can just, you know, handle losing whatever. I mean, what 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 are some like... Yeah, I mean, I mean, that right there, that, that little tidbit right there is perfect. Uh, I'll go back to Jesse Livermore again. If you can't sleep at night because, you're stock, because of your stock market position, you've gone too far. If this is the case, then sell your position down to the sleeping level. And that's what you said 100 years ago. Mm -hmm. Holds true today. If you're uncomfortable with what's going on, you're trading too big. And and this is not supposed to be exciting. Trading is not supposed to be exciting. It's not that trip to the casino where you know flashing lights and everything else. It's boring. It's routine. It's locking into a strategy that works and being consistent with it. And if you're finding yourself having wild emotional swings when stocks go up, you get super excited and life is great. And when they go down, you're despondent. You're trading too big, period. You shouldn't have emotion based on what's going on. And if you are, you need to lower those position sizes down to a level which you can go to sleep at night. Yeah, I uh, I really like that quote. You uh, you sent us a little outline with some quotes before recording this episode. And the one about um, it not being exciting, like that one really stuck out to me, like that it shouldn't be exciting because that's something you see so so much especially like with i mean new people trading like i feel like it's all just a party like everyone's so rowdy and like emotions are swinging so violently you know um so that one really stuck out to me it sounds like uh mike t is as big of a fan of jesse livermore as uh dj is of elon musk so <laughs> it sounds like it we gotta get this jesse livermore guy on the podcast i'm sure he's long dead right <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, hey, maybe he's got some like long, uh, long past relative or something down the this line of descendants that we can get on the <laughs> podcast or something. Tedeschi, are you a descendant of Jesse Livermore? Is he your grandfather? Yeah. Like great great grandfather? <laughs> yes, no, I'm sorry, not. <laughs> well, everybody should read uh, should read his book. Um, it's reminiscence of a stock operator, right? Uh, the world was very different 100 years ago, but 
the things he said were really insightful in terms of human behavior and they're still true today. Yeah. It seems like, I mean, this is, this has been very helpful for me because this is one of the biggest issues that I think that holds me back from being a better trader and better investor is like the still just getting over some of my misconceptions and psychological, uh, nutcaseness. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, a, I'm, a, <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I look at my account and think, man, I really should probably be selling right now, but my average is just so low. I don't want to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, now mm-hmm. I'm like going to go rethink that strategy and, you know, maybe use just partial, you know, partial gains or something like that. But you should go up to the privacy setting and click the little button so you can't actually see how much money is in your account or what your position size is and just use the charts. Oh, interesting. I didn't even know you could do that. Well, we probably can't with our uh, Robin Hood. Probably have to be in like a, a real brokerage account <laughs> using the eight screens that, that Tedeschi uses. Before we started recording, I asked which screen we were on, uh, which screen Tedeschi was looking at us on, because he's got like, how many screens is it literally? It's eight. It's eight screens. Yep. Like such a flex. <laughs> but yeah, no, I don't know that that's an option for Robin Hood. <laughs> The, the other thing I will say from a psychological standpoint that's, you know, you asked for some tidbits, you've got to learn to be okay with being wrong. Um, you have to. When you learn to let go of the need to be right, being wrong gradually loses its power to disturb you. That's my last quote for the evening. But um, you're going to be wrong a high percentage of the time. And if you have your ego take over that says, I am right. And I know I'm right. I know this market is wrong. I know that stock is going to go up. That's when you start doing things that you shouldn't be doing. You start buying too many shares. You start getting way too confident. At the end of the day, you know, if you're right, 60% of the time, you're a phenomenal trader. You don't need to be right a high percentage of the time. But, you, you know, when you're when the market goes against you, you just click the button that says sell, take a tiny loss and move on and don't let it bother you. And if it's bothering you, your position size is too big or your ego is too big and you got to fix one of the two of them. Or both. <laughs> yeah. Or both. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tedeschi, this was awesome, man. I, I had no doubt this was going to be a really good episode, uh, just based on our experience with you on the last one. And I'm I'm super glad we had you back. But we would be remiss if we didn't jump into our dad zone stuff, talking about some dad jokes and all that kind of stuff. How's your uh, how's your how's your little one? She is doing well, man. She's out running around. Um, she's almost 16 months at this point in time. It's been best 16th month of my life <laughs> and it's just fun watching the the change on a regular basis it's just amazing it is really fun it's fun to watch them grow mike sabala how are your kids doing they're doing just fine <laughs> i don't i don't know you always throw these awkward dad questions at me and i don't know how to respond <laughs> that's the that's the goal that's why i do it i don't like it (laughs) well it just it is what it is so all right let's do some dad jokes tedeschi what do you got for us did you come prepared this time because last time last time you had to come up with one on the fly and i was impressed you came up with a good one on the fly (laughs) but this time you were prepared right this time i was prepared it's terrible but it, it fits with the theme of this year all right everybody's working from home now so I used to hate facial hair, 
but then it grew on me. <laughs> you do there have you a nice little uh, beard and yeah, <laughs> going on there. Yeah, it's nice. So, I, yeah. The the light right over your head, the, the cool sunglasses. You're you're just chilling, man. Eight screens. <laughs> I just feel like. I just don't know if I feel like I'm worthy or competent to to chat with you, but hey, what what, yeah. what dad jokes you got for us? Um, I've got one that a friend told me. Um, it is Batman themed, so it could go with Another some Batman some of your previous <laughs> ones. Um, it's it's questionable, but I'll I'll go with it. Um, okay, so. What did Batman say to Robin before they got into the Batmobile? I don't know. What? Robin, get in the Batmobile. (laughs) (laughs) That's not a joke. I know. Man. That was my friend Tracy. Shout her out. Oh, Tracy. Tracy. Thanks a lot, Tracy, for that one. That nonsense. Uh, okay, I got a one. I have so many good ones now. I'm like, before I had no good ones ever. Now I feel like I have a list full of good ones, and it's hard to choose every yeah. time. Yeah, so, I'm really upset that you have good ones now. Honestly, no, I know. Okay, so let's go with this one. Uh, why can't T Rex clap? Oh. Tracy told me this one. This is on my list too. <laughs> well, the, don't spoil it. I won't. Tedeschi, why can't T-Rexes clap? No. Because they're dead. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like your jokes are just getting more morbid. <laughs> they are. Like, All of them have to spoiler, do it. Like... Spoiler, that's the punchline <laughs> for his Batman joke too. <laughs> <laughs> All my jokes are like this. I like telling dad jokes. Sometimes yeah. he laughs. Yeah, that's it. There you go. What's an out there? All right. Oh man. Yeah, that does seem to be the punchline for like all of my jokes. Yeah. <laughs> you've got all these great jokes. The punchline is just they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> I almost did tell that one though, just now. It would have kind of devastated me if you'd have got if you'd have told yeah. that one. So take it off your list, sucker. Yeah, I'm a little upset now. Tracy gave you that one too. Mm-hmm. She gave Good me job, one Tracy. other one too. One out of two. Can't be that. Yeah. All right, guys. All right, guys. Well, this has been super fun. As always, um, Tedeschi, super glad to have you on. Really appreciate mm-hmm. your time, your knowledge, your uh compassion for us uh little people with only one screen um (laughs) i'm on a laptop (laughs) yeah right um normally i'm just on my phone so uh, you know (laughs) insignificant is to put it lightly but no i i really do appreciate uh you coming on again for all of the uh awesome value you bring to the stock dads page again if you guys aren't already join the stock dads page on facebook um make sure you check it out there's a lot of fun things going on we're growing pretty pretty quickly having a lot of fun doing it um and you know thank you for listening to this podcast and for all the support that we get from all of our listeners and um, make sure you download subscribe like all that kind of fun stuff give us a five-star review 
whatever if you like us. If you don't, then tell it to our face. In or the leave comments. us a bad review. <laughs> yeah. You just tell them to my face. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but seriously, no. Um, all right. But anyways, uh, it's getting pretty late. So I'm going to go watch the Falcons uh, get creamed get by the Packers. Destroyed. <laughs> yeah, I'm a Falcons fan. So if you guys are listening, it's been pretty rough life for me. So, um, oh, yeah. but yeah, I'm going to go uh, watch them get creamed by the Packers and uh, um, go to bed then, I guess. Sad as always after a Falcons game. What are you guys doing tonight? <laughs> uh, I'm already up past my bedtime, so. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know. When I asked you to come on and you were like, that's eight 30 my time. Ooh, I don't know. <laughs> uh, all right. We can make it work. <laughs> we do appreciate you <laughs> modifying your schedule for us. <laughs> yeah. Greatly appreciated. Um, I started a new Netflix series, so I'm going to go check that out. Over Kai? No, I finished that. That was pretty good, though. So good. Yeah. Did that give you watch Cobra Kai? Are you a Karate Kid fan? I have not gotten a chance to check it out yet. I was a Karate Kid fan, so it is on my uh, list. But the list just keeps growing. You know, we have yeah. This needs to go to the very top. This okay. needs to go to the very, very top. I am obsessed. I've already watched it twice since it came out on Netflix. And you super dork. Yeah, I'm <laughs> a super nerd, but it's okay. Yeah. Cobra Kai, I, uh, Cobra Kai, Cobra Kai. <laughs> I'd it. go all uh, Mia- or, uh, Miyagi-Do on you. Yeah, okay. No mercy. <laughs> um, no, I uh I mean I watched Karate Kid the movie like growing up, like I loved it, obviously, but I'm not like a huge super fan like DJ, but it like it touched me emotionally. It got me. I'd definitely watch it's, it's it. It's like way heavier than you would think it is. Like the it, way it, they it's market also, it. It's like really corny. It's a, it, it's, it's like, a weird it's a really eclectic weird. show. <laughs> it's a really eclectic yeah. show. Why are we talking? It's about like this really right corny now? and kind of like subpar acting at points, but it's also like emotionally like deep. It's really it's, well. It's a written. weird mixture. Yeah, it's really well written. Why are we talking about this right now? I don't know. We, we're about to put Mike to sleep here. <laughs> we should wrap. It <laughs> he up. needs to go to bed. But <laughs> if you're listening, yeah. Johnny Lawrence, uh, I wouldn't mind being sponsored by Cobra Kai. Or yeah, Daniel LaRusso, Miyagi sure. you can sponsor us. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> um, and also check out Mike. He does coaching and stuff, so check yeah. out. <laughs> yeah, just a little footnote there. Afterthought, yeah. right? <laughs> no. <laughs> check out Tedeschi, uh, what, Perspective Wealth Management? Or Perspective Wealth Planning? Perspective Wealth Planning, yep. You're a wealth management advisor, right? That is my Get that right? That is correct. Yeah. Okay. See, I had it all in there. It was just kind of jumbled up. But yeah, check him out. He does coaching. Uh, he can teach you how to be way better than you are now. Um, he's already teaching us uh, through <laughs> just a couple of podcasts. So imagine what he could do if he actually worked with you one on one and you gave him your money. It'd be pretty awesome for yeah. everybody involved. <laughs> all right, guys. Well, we appreciate it. Thanks again, Tedeschi. And uh, I guess we're out. Thanks, guys, for having me, guys. Thank you for listening to Stocks and Sandals, a podcast by Stock Dads for Stock Dads. Make sure to subscribe for future episodes and join our Stock Dads community on Facebook and Instagram. But most importantly, don't touch the thermostat.